stay frosty. Hello and welcome to the songs that made us. This is the podcast. And like I say, we are limousine riding. Woo! Jet flying. <laughs> Woo! Rolex wearing. Woo! <laughs> dealing. Wheeling, dealing. Sons of a gun. <laughs> that was really unexpected. But usually I ask you if you've got an intro and I can like prep myself and I didn't even think about this time. So you just <laughs> go off into this. Woo! The worst part is, I thought to do that earlier, but I thought, no, I'm not going to fucking do that. And so when I went into it there, I realised I didn't think of a second intro to do instead. So I didn't actually remember what words I was supposed to be using in what order. Um, but for any of my wrestling fans out there, they will know that that's a somewhat Jano version of a Ric Flair promo. Perfect. I think it's perfect. It, it suits us. It's... Um... <laughs> Even though, Any, anybody yeah. listening is going to be so pumped for this episode now. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> the Ric Flair Woo, man. <laughs> How's it going, Jake? The Ric Flair drip goes woo on a bitch. Oh, Have you ever no. heard that? He's, he's in a loop. <laughs> <laughs> Have you never heard that? Of course I've heard it. I've not said once that I haven't heard that. <laughs> That's what I asked you, and then you said, oh, he's stuck in a loop. That doesn't follow <laughs> what I asked, does it? <laughs> so you're here with me the nature boy <laughs> nature. Muffin, muffin man muffin man yeah muffin. <laughs> what was what was my fuck it what are my other pseudonyms i don't oh, know rinky. Loads. oh yeah rinky dink oh i forgot about rinky dink oh thank you that was the first batch of recordings wasn't it so like that might have even been in the first episode maybe yeah i feel like we we just got so many aliases now <laughs> <laughs> well if you listen to uh either last week's or the week before show uh my partner in crime here mr cupcake <laughs> <laughs> is connor the beaver reed <laughs> what the beaver where's that coming from <laughs> it just seemed to flow best with connor reed i just like, don't like the fact that if this ever gets off the ground like and we get big i don't want to be called by other people cupcake or beaver I kind of, I kind of want something cooler. <laughs> All right, I'll be the Nature Boy muffin. Lovely, the Nature Boy muffin, yeah. <laughs> Woo, chocolate chips. <laughs> and you can be, if you you want a badass sounding name. Obviously, yeah. you don't don't want to look like a twat when people are yelling out, "Oh, lemon squirts." <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that's going to happen. <laughs> oh, show me, Pip. How are you doing? <laughs> I don't know why they're all sort of from, you know, the 40s, 50s and 60s. I don't know 60. why they're like, they're like old Janna women. <laughs> it's very much, you know, Terry Jones in Life of Brian. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he's not he's a very naughty boy. Stone him, stone him. There we go. Maybe oh, I'll just be the naughty boy. So you'll be the nature, nature cupcake and the naughty boy. Best band name ever. <laughs> no, what was it? Nature Boy Muffin. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Nature Boy Muffin and the Naughty Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That would be awesome. I was, so I was going to give you, I was going to name you as, uh, you know, Macho Man Cupcake Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I actually really like that. The adventures of <laughs> Nature Muffin and the Naughty Boy. <laughs> that would actually be pretty like oh we got to that would, the pod. that would yeah that would be that should be the podcast name that would real people in they'll be like oh what's like what, what what's all this about <laughs> well we could open up avenues away from music then as well we could talk about any any pop culture yeah culinary stuff <laughs> <laughs> and this week on the, <laughs> the adventures of nature boy muffin and naughty boy <laughs> they learn how to do a proper tiramisu <laughs> <laughs> perfect yeah, I, I think I think this just broadens our horizons. You know, we've got we've got a nice career ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, I think when we finally make it to TV. Yeah, <laughs> completely. <laughs> It'll be like an, an idiot abroad. Only we're not complete idiots. We're just fucking we're, we're Wait, idiots. Speak for yourself. Well, I'll say. Wow, you know. <laughs> what I was gonna say is <laughs> like I forgot what I was gonna say now. That's right. So it's, it's, it's a lot to handle. The start of this podcast is... <laughs> We've been derailed inside of five minutes. Yeah. And now it's just I from think, the intro. I think it's just... We just never got onto the rails. <laughs> no, the rails weren't there for us. So our mine cart was hurtling down a shaft at an alarm array at knots. No rails. Like a train over a cliff. That's how we like it. Yeah, we like it to be full of <laughs> death destruction. <laughs> And us falling to our misery. Woo! <laughs> I'm going to hate editing this one. <laughs> I'm going to hear that back and go, oh, I've turned into a complete and utter cunt. <laughs> so, what happens, man? What you'll learn in future of how you prep for a podcast. Well, next time I'll do it. Like, you know, welcome to the Song That Made a Sisters podcast. Like, say, oh, yeah, cream rises to the top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sticking with the culinary theme, I love it. <laughs> gonna have beef, gonna have beef. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <coughs> My voice isn't suited to Randy Savage, but I'll give... Let me try it again. Yeah, don't break yourself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta have beef, gotta have meat. Step into a Slim Jims, oh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, we should just start really, like, mundane... I'll just be like, uh, hello, this is the songs that made us. I'm here with Jake Hughes. How are you doing today, Jake? I think... Today we're going to be talking about Joy Division. They were a <laughs> hit band. You may have heard of them. You sound like Steve Lamarck. Oh, I feel like <laughs> I did, yeah. I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> oh, well, I was thinking we could do that. But it's like, it goes on for an absurdly long time. Yeah. So up until like the 10th, 12th minute, and then just a needle scratch... <laughs> <laughs> and then we come properly. And then like a massive like punk riff. Yeah. And be like, ah, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like a complete and utter juxtaposition of what they've heard for twelve minutes. Yeah. The twelve minutes there. It's like it's like the young ones and like the wall like blows up and then the real yeah. us step in. <laughs> but it's like the idea of it going on for absurdly long as well. Because I yeah. like the idea that people will sit there and listen to it and be like, Well fuck, they've changed up their game. Yeah. <laughs> and then because they'll get past, like, the first two minutes of discomfort. Yeah. And they'll be sort of wondering, well, is this new direction they're going to go in? And that'll be about, you know, three or four minutes. And then by the time they're happy with it, yeah, that's when you put it out from them. We've got to gain people's trust before that. 
like people have got to be like assured that they're in for a good ride every time they open a podcast so that when it starts they don't instantly go wait if i clicked on the wrong fucking thing what, what's happened with these guys like and then hook them in and then fuck them up well that's what i'm thinking i think we've already built up a level of trust but that's based around the erratic nature of <laughs> complete anarchy you know yeah. we like to be unpredictable <laughs> although actually i quite like the idea of us being the vivians of the podcast world <laughs> If you want, I'm eating a brick. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these bricks explode. Fucking <laughs> like Aid Edmondson. That's brilliant. Oh, it was a crap Aid Edmondson impression. <laughs> it was a very good Terry Jones as an old woman again. <laughs> so, I think that's your stock, your stock comedy impression. Yeah. You got Macho Man Randy Savage and Terry Jones. I think that's yeah. a good repertoire. <laughs> well, yeah, it certainly covers all the bases, but. I think I missed out. Like, we should have done a production of Life from Brian in school. Ah, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, we definitely missed a trick there. Maybe we should just do an audiobook <laughs> of us doing all the characters. Do you know what? That could be quite funny. Yeah, an audio play of Holy it would have, Yeah, it would have to be a sort of... Yeah, it'd have to come out as a sort of special episode, but, like, a normal episode is alongside it. Just yeah. so people are like, okay, they can do that. That's fine, as long as I've got... I'm making audio content. <laughs> well, maybe we do like a podcast based on all of the songs in every Monty Python, like Monty Python ever made. And then we do it in the voice of Monty Python characters. Do you I reckon don't... that'll get a bit a, t- a bit too unbearable, like five minutes in? I, I like the idea of doing either Holy Grail or Life of Rhyme. Yeah. That would be fucking epic. That's true, and they got a lot of, actually, to be honest though, like on a serious note, they got a lot of songs in Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah, all about Robin Hood running away. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be great. <laughs> and I want to do like, what's the really camp sergeant from the sketches? Oh, I can't They're remember. like, oh, that's a nice one over there. Like, oh, I can't remember, but it's really funny. Oh, we could do the... Um... Is it the anger management one? Yeah. He goes into the office. And oh, no, it's the arguing one, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 I've, sorry, I've come in for an argument. No, you haven't. Yes, you <laughs> have. yes I have. No, you haven't. <laughs> ah. <laughs> My favourite one is where it's just two people sat in a desk and there's a the window behind them. Oh. And, and then the body just falls. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them's like, did you see that? But eventually, by the end of the sketch, they're betting on the next person to jump off. It's so dark. I think that says a lot about my humour. Well, I think it says a lot about that whole era of British humour as well. Yeah. Because that, I know, yeah, that's influenced us probably as much as music has. Oh, completely. Think about sensibilities the way we are. But it's interesting as well because they, they were very much influenced by music and influenced a lot of the music of the time as well. That's why all of them were such good friends with rock stars. Well, yeah, you think about uh, Young Ones especially as well. They always had, in every episode, that little mm-hmm. section where a band basically play their single. So Yeah, I think there was a big connection between British rock and British comedy. Well, yeah, I'd, time. I would say British punk and post-punk, definitely. Yeah, yeah completely. Because hey, that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about. Damn it. I'm just talking about <laughs> Young Ones now. Oh, no. <laughs> But yeah, so as Steve Lamack told us earlier, we are actually looking at Joy Division, um, both the actual studio albums as well as a little bit of uh, stuff on the compilation albums. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Joy Division, this is your area of expertise, I think. I don't know if it's my yes. area of expertise. I'm just a bigger fan. Or, like, um, I was a, a full-on fan. Like, it's safe to say, it's kind of like the flip of the Iron Maiden podcast, because you've definitely heard some Joy Division songs. Everyone's heard some Joy Division songs, if you're from England. See. Um, but you uh, haven't necessarily dug deep or listened to a lot. And not even, I suppose, is it fair to say the stuff you had heard you weren't even hugely a fan of? Yeah, so I have I have listened to Unknown Pleasures before. Oh, the whole album? Yeah, but I'm thinking that was a fair old while ago prior to, yeah. you know. Yeah, That's this back, morning. <laughs> I imagine back when we were all getting into like more alternative rock, so you start listening to the big bands and you go, oh, right, well, this is supposed to be an amazing album. This is supposed to be an amazing band. So you start dipping in and then you figure out what you like. Yeah, I think it's around about the age when, yeah, we're getting into that sort of stuff, but also when you have that sort of pretentious thing of like, or at least I did, where it's like, well, I'm going to watch the you know Empire Top 500 movies in order from exactly 500 the, to 1. And then like a couple of years down the line, you go, Oh, actually, Empire aren't a good movie list. What you want to listen to is the sound... What's the magazine called? Um, sound and something. And then you go, oh, yeah, that's got all Casablanca and Tokyo Story and all of those sort of films. And <laughs> no, then, no, like, no, you want to check out the one in the Japanese market. The Japanese market shows you all the great Japanese films that we're not seeing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's actually... No, actually, the best Hitchcock film is Vertigo, despite uh, what everyone says about Psycho and everything like that. Um and you start to become a pretentious prick about it. It's the same, it is the same with music. You go through that um, age, well, at least we did, um, of going, well, I, I'm not just going to listen to shit music. I'm going to get really elitist and listen to music that I just know is really good. Yeah, the music that we've all heard talked about as being, like, the greatest things in the world. Yeah. So yeah. you're there like, well, if I listen to this and it's not in the current pop, you know, top yeah. ten. I can be quite the same with books, to be honest. I'm still in that frame of mind with books. Like, I ha- I only read books that I know are seen and um, heard of. as Yeah, thought of as classics or, or brilliant reads. Um, I need to get out of that, really, because I don't like that mindset. I've, I've come out of it with music. Like, there was a point in time where you would never catch me ever listening to anything Harry Styles or because of just the association of One Direction. I'm like, shit music, you'll never catch me dead listening to that. But I have to admit, his latest stuff, I, I dig quite a bit. Yeah, it's not the first time we've mentioned him on the podcast, and yeah. no, no, it's not It's not being an episode. Jake's still elitist. I, <laughs> it's based on a reason for me. So the main reason, it's, and this is less with Harry Styles, this is more in general, mm. like, 99% of the music that you'll see that's on, you know, the top of any billboard charge, anything like that, is the same thing. It's a person who's either a really good singer or an okay singer, usually female, who doesn't write the song, doesn't write the music, doesn't create anything, and just goes out there like somebody's working out through her arse like a sock puppet. Yeah. I get and you, but that's, there's still like that's and that's because it's become uh, the industry it has. So they're churning out yeah. shit, and I get that. But there's still a lot of great artists out there that are completely. I mean, if you look at people like Tame Impala, that's actually just one dude. Um, that's Kevin Parker doing all of the music, all of the lyrics, all of the production, everything, and it's brilliant stuff. 
But so, you're, assuming, you're assuming what I'm saying is that I don't listen to current bands. That wasn't what I was saying. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> hey, come on. I know you fucking tell me Yeah, yeah. But I think there's an aspect of that, though, because especially, uh, maybe not anymore, but when we were growing up, like, how often when, when we were in our mid-teens did we listen to anything that wasn't from before the year 2000? Unless it was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Or Linkin Park. I suppose yeah. Linkin Park as well, yeah. You get where that, but then saying that there was also like, you're okay to listen to Machine Head, or you could listen to. Um, but that's because they're still outside of bands. So everyone's a yeah. hipster <laughs> when they're a teenager. Yeah, pretty much. But on that note, then, so, <laughs> so you had listened to um, Unknown Pleasures when you were yes. younger, and when we're talking about like unique, a unique sound and stuff that isn't churned out and stuff, that's. For me, Joy Division are kind of the epitome of that, because I still think to this day, especially with their first album, with Unknown Pleasures, they created a sound that had not been around before and has not really been around since. I'm actually going to debate you on not being around before. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Sue, 10 years prior to them, and I will grant you there's... uh, sort of derivations of the sound if you will yeah so well, actually sorry nine years before unknown pleasures an album came out the opening song in terms of the overall sound you have to go with me a little bit on this yeah yeah was pretty much exactly the same as the majority of that album okay are you you're, are you talking about the doors no all right, who are you going to bring up? I was thinking something a little bit closer to home, uh, something okay. from the Midlands. Sabbath, Warpigs. Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. You know that sort of that groove in the background with the bass driving it. Yeah. The overall sort of gloomy, sort of soundscape of all that kind yeah. of not quite lo-fi, but sort of not really properly there. I, I get where you're coming from, and actually, like. Um, I was thinking this the other day when I was re-listening to these albums, especially there's one song in the second album. I don't want to get too jumbled up, but there's one song in the second album closer called 24 Hours. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that later. Yeah, but like a lot of their riffs and a lot of the atmosphere they make sounds early heavy metal. And it's definitely heavily influenced by early heavy metal. Oh, yeah. And funny enough, the main thing they were influenced by was Sex Pistols. Yeah, of course, but everyone was, like, um, at the time, everyone was. I know, like, Ian Curtis specifically, um, who is obviously anyone who doesn't know. So Joy Division were a band in 1979, 1980, and really young lads. Um, a band that formed 1976, people. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, I was talking about the album 79, 80. I've got the research, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, just a... a, a a young group of lads from uh, Manchester, Macclesfield, um, and basically playing the pub scene. And then, uh, in my opinion, created a really unique sound, definitely influenced by other artists. Uh, I, I've mentioned The Doors, you've mentioned Sex Pistols and, um, and uh, Sabbath. Um, and unfortunately, in 1980, uh, the lead singer Ian Curtis killed himself at 23 years old. Um, on the eve of their American Canada tour. Yeah, literally the, the, the day before, and um, and it kind of propelled them into stardom. Um, 
and now they they they're a big part of British music history and culture. Um, I would debate having influenced a fuck ton of bands since, but in my opinion as well, like people have never been able to emulate their sound. I would also make an argument that they are probably a more influential band on British music than the Beatles. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I, I would say that about several thousand bands that have I know, but you, you hate the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we don't need to re <laughs> re go through that. Yeah. I've already been through that on the podcast. Yeah. And didn't and, uh, take any lumps. So Ian Curtis um, was heavily influenced by um, Iggy Pop. Yeah, definitely yeah. the punk scene. So like, if, if you actually like look at early pictures of him and stuff, he used to wear black eyeliner, everything like that. Hey, um, yeah. I'll be fire there a sec, baby bird. Let me feed you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, back, baby bird. Let me feed you. <laughs> you made it sound much more sexual than yeah, I did. I <laughs> you felt like the Barry White one. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, how I heard it in my head, though. <laughs> it will help, baby. <laughs> feed you. <laughs> Leave down that fire. <laughs> So I've got a bit of chef on there. <laughs> Isaac Go Hayes. On. Go on, feed me. Go on. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> the reason I picked the Sex Pistols was because the literal formation of the band came out after Peter Hook and... Uh, not as familiar with the names as you. Bernard Summer and Peter Hook. Peter Hook being the bassist and Bernard Summer being someone. <laughs> was he the guitar? I think so. I don't know the names that well either. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. I know Ian Curtis because it's Ian Curtis. <laughs> yeah, lead guitar. Yeah, lead guitar. Cool. Right, yeah. You're fine. You know what you're talking about. Stephen Morris was the drummer. Right. Anyone who just wanted to know. <laughs> um, so, 1976, 4th of June, Bernard and Peter Hooks separately attended a Sex Pistols show at the Manchester Lesser Free Trade Hall. Mm-hmm. And when both of them saw the Pistols performance, and presumably if that's 1976, I imagine Glenn Matlock was in the band rather than Sid Vicious. Yeah, I think because obviously they did Anarchy in the UK and the video with Glenn Matlock. Yeah. Um, for people who don't know, bassists of Sex Pistols. Yeah. And Matlock was the one who had the talent. Unfortunately, Sid Vicious, who replaced him, was the guy who had the look and the attitude for punk. Well, yeah, that comes out of being. Um, a bit of a dick really yeah. but here's where I, I think it goes full circle so i'm assuming so they saw them perform and were like fuck i need to make a band i need to exactly uh, so summer and, said, yeah sorry carry on summer said that he felt the pistols destroyed the myth of being a pop star of a musician being some kind of god that you had to worship so it yeah. basically blew away their entire sort of it's so interesting and it's like it, almost the exact same thing happened when iggy pop performed in england and um and what's his name? Oh my god, it's, it's left my head. Not Joe Strummer from The Clash, but the guitarist. The guitarist from The Clash? Yeah. Um, it's left my head. Mick Jones? Yeah, Mick Jones. So Mick Jones and um, um, Thingy from the fucking Sex Pistols. But they saw, um, they saw um, Iggy Pop live in a, a gig in London and they thought, fuck me, I need to be doing this sort of music. And that's sort of how punk or at least there those bands got formed in the the uk as well so 
Well, it goes, let, you know, let me give you another morsel here. It also mm-hmm. goes completely full circle. You think about, um, there's always that famous gig that's referenced within sort of like the whole Manchester kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which see in like um, 24-hour party people and all that. Yeah. So it all goes so around. Yeah, and, and, uh, literally... and that makes complete sense because um, when Joy Division started, they actually started as a band called Warsaw which were a full-on punk band, and really yeah. straightforward punk. Um, if you get their compilation album, Substance, which is all singles, B-sides, unreleased tracks, um, and alternate versions of tracks, uh, it starts off with a load of their early, really punk stuff. Um, and they were initially making an album called Warsaw under the band name Warsaw, which has famous tracks on it like Transmission, um, but they didn't like... They didn't get along with the producer and they had like some disagreements and then that album sort of fell by the wayside and then they switched up their sound from my understanding of history with it sort of yeah and um the, the only reason they dropped the moniker of warsaw is because there was another band called warsaw uh, pk i think right so yeah. they were like well we don't want to be confused with them and yeah. um yeah people came up with some strange names from at the time for, I think it was like the day before a gig they eventually settled on Joy Division. Yeah, which... I think I think their their producer made them like come up with a name when they were recording the album as well. Yeah, I think it was literally before a show or before an album. But it was yeah, that's the thing as well. And for people who don't know, Joy Division not a happy term. No, well, it's not a brothel for German soldiers. No, a brothel for German soldiers would be a nice way of selling it. Right. Um, it was a wing of um, Nazi concentration camps where there would be people. Holy shit. Okay, I completely They're sexual not slavery know that. wing, basically. Damn, I, did, I had no fucking clue of that. So I can't... I always thought it was a, a, a brothel that was used by German soldiers, and that's so much more horrendous. No, that, that's, only if you're, that's only if you're looking at, like, you know, fucking... Yeah, a description of it by Goebbels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, and yeah, I so... didn't think I'd get a Goebbels reference in there today. <laughs> it always goes back. <laughs> so I suppose we're doing a kind of little timeline now. Then, so they oh, all sorry, it's Warsaw Pact. They were called. Ah, right. That. Yeah. So I suppose we're doing a little bit of a timeline then. So they started off straightforward punk. Another thing to note as well is that they it was initially the three other members, and they had a band, but they thought they were shit. They ran into Ian Curtis. Just back up a little bit. Oh yeah, sorry. I'm gonna concede something. Okay. Technically, they were German military brothels. Right. Okay. However, they were wings of concentration camp. Grim. Still grim. Disgusting. What? Yeah, there were around about 500 military brothels of this kind in Germany or German-occupied Europe, yeah. often operating in confiscated hotels and guarded by the Wehrmacht. Uh, yeah. These facilities serve traveling, sol- uh, traveling soldiers and those withdrawn from the front. According to records, at least 34,140 European women were forced to serve as prostitutes during German occupation of their own countries, along with female prisoners of concentra- uh, concentration camp brothels. Ah, man, that's um, horrendous. Yeah. Um, and obviously and, and obviously, the band are just doing it ironically because it's, it's the 70s and it's punk and it's anti being proud of the war and it's anti um nationalism and they're just doing it to be provocative same as the sex pistols yeah 
Yeah. Really? I, I would hopefully go with that. Is uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, unless they were massive Nazi sympathisers. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, unlike Eric Clapton, I've not heard of anyone from Joy Division where I've been described as uh, sort of Nazi idealists or yeah. anywhere. Uh, whereas Eric Clapton openly came out as a racist in the 70s, I believe. Yep. Uh, he went on a racist tirade during a gig. What a prick. <laughs> Indeed. And so, yeah. Now, just... Nowadays, he can't play guitar because of arthritis, so. Well, get quality one in the end, fucking yeah. Clapton. So, obviously, and then the band had a load of singles and, and played in a load of gigs and stuff before making their first album. And their first album was Unknown Pleasures. But there was a lot on the cutting room floor, which is why you end up with compilation albums like still which is a full album of completely unreleased tracks that you wouldn't see anywhere else that came out after ian curtis died uh, where you'll get a bit more of a hint of like their punk roots and whatnot so the thing is about unknown pleasures well what's your overall view on it now did you like so i'm assuming you weren't a big fan of it when you first listened to it when you were younger no no nope <laughs> no wasn't my cup of tea mm. But again, and, I was also at the point where, because they were so well-liked, the other part of being a hipster came in and swooped me away and went, well, I can't like them then. Right, I get you completely. Yeah, 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 fair. Did you not even like, um, I know this is really separate because it's not on the album, but did you like songs like Love Will Tear Us Apart? Nope. Um, I had to, I can't remember which band I was in at the time, but one, uh, no, it wasn't with you guys. Um, yeah, one of my other projects we did do a cover of love terrace park oh really i didn't know that yeah i can't remember if it was one with ben baker in actually but yeah it's something like that but i used to play the bass line wrong anyway because i wasn't going to bother playing chords back then i was only fingers i was in the i had like several years of complete anti-pick fingers. and what you just didn't like that song because everyone else loves that song or do you still not like that song Ooh, this is a really hard way to phrase it about giving away my total opinion on things. Yeah, um, yeah no, we can go back to it. No, I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll, don't worry. I've got a morsel for you. It's fine. <laughs> um, I would say it's still it's one of the better songs out of the bunch. Right. From what I hear with Joy Division, and there's a couple of songs we'll talk about in depth anyway. Um, so. I don't, I don't necessarily rate that song higher than what I used to. Right. It's just that the rest of it is underwhelming for me. <laughs> so, are you still not a fan of Unknown Pleasures then? I am still not a fan of Unknown Pleasures, um, mm. uh, unless the unknown is which whore will it be tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Did you plan that joke, or was that like? <laughs> How could I plan? I don't know. You you half look like you were ready to say. <laughs> it's because it came into my mind, <laughs> and I realised how good a joke it was. <laughs> Fair. So what is um? I can understand. So I um. Me and Charlie listen to Joy Division a lot, especially over the last week. She's ended up becoming a really big fan, and she hadn't. She seems uh, depressed. <laughs> well, she hadn't listened to a lot of um. Uh, their stuff or she had heard a lot of stuff but didn't realize it was joy division so she's like oh i didn't realize they did this song um and i've always said and i think i said to her before we started listening um i completely understand some uh, anybody not being a fan of joy division 
um, because it, like I said, it's super unique music, and it's also very fucking bleak, especially this first album. Like this first album, content-wise and lyrically, it is a fucking bleak album. And I almost think of it as a concept album. With both of their studio albums, we'll go in a bit more depth, but I almost think their studio albums that they released, are all, they, they're not concept albums in terms of content of lyrics, but in atmosphere, they feel like concept albums. It feels like they, they cohesively thought, I'm going to create this atmosphere in this album, and every song adds to that. I don't think they thought about it a lot of a lot of their stuff riffs and all that um songs really all came out jamming so i reckon it's more case that was just how they're comfortable playing i i would say it's it's more telling when you look at what ended up on the cutting floor like songs like transmission which they had way before this album didn't appear on this album um, and that's an excellent song. In fact, it's a fan favorite. A load of people love Transmission. Also, when you listen to Still, um, the third album we, I got you to listen to, a good first half of that album, I think, was supposed was recorded around about the same time as them doing Unknown Pleasures. And they specifically chose not to put those songs on the album because, it, in my opinion, I think it's because they didn't gel with the atmosphere. Um, and it didn't cater to the sound they were trying to put out there. Because... At the same time as creating this album, they had a lot more punky, a lot more fast-paced um, stuff that they chose not to put on this, because this is a very slow-paced album. It's very spacious. Um, and I think they were really actively working on keeping that the case, because they had a load of opportunity and a load more songs that they could have shoved on that would really be upbeat. The most upbeat song on the album is the first song, Disorder, and then after that, it's very... Oh, I, I think, you know, she's lost controls probably up, at least up tempo. It's it's no, it's, it's, it's still like on the original version, because there's two versions of she's lost, She Lost Control. And there's one that they re- you can listen to on the Substance album, which is a bit more fast-paced. But I think like on in Unknown Pleasures, when you listen to the album, it doesn't feel that fast-paced. And it's still only like... Thinking it from the bassist perspective, though, so rather than have just playing eight, eighth notes in there, I can play sixteenth notes in that gap. So yeah. for me, it could be faster. But that's the thing, is, and also like yeah, well, that's the thing about this album. The only driving force in this first album is the bass, and the bass is pretty much the center point, which is why I was interested as to whether you'd like it or not, because I know that they're very simple bass riffs, and they don't well, change much. I I have some good things and bad things to say. Now, first off, before we delve 100% into the bass, I've got a great comparison for what this entire album sounds like. Now, okay. cast your mind back, the very first episode we did, I got you to listen to an album called The Holy Bible by the Lancashire yeah. Preachers. Yeah. There's a song towards the end of that called The Intense Humming of Evil. Yeah. And the whole song is basically how this whole album sounds to me fair okay which is which is fine when it's in the intense humming of evil but when it's an entire album <laughs> it's harder yeah did it not like does it does the album just drag out for you then yeah and considering what the album so unknown pleasures running time i think it's around yeah 
uh, 39 minutes 28 seconds long and i was pretty sure that i started listening to it at 6 a.m i didn't yeah. stop until 12 <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing it does have its moments so mm. disorder i would say is a good song what great yeah, song. I, I love that song and again so this is where we can delve into the bass a bit more so this is where this song in particular is where i'm really really mixed on peter hook right part of me thinks he's a fucking genius a distortion on the bass rarely happens um b he's got his bass down by you know his feet as Mm. he plays and c he plays chords again this is before maiden have had their debut album as well this is before Cliff Burton was you know, debuting across America doing the same thing with his bass. Yeah. So he's kind of like a forerunner of a lot of this stuff, but in very much more like a caveman kind of basic way. Well, this is how I kind of feel about the band in general, um, especially musically, because they're not necessarily... The three guys, they're not necessarily doing stuff that's difficult, but they're doing stuff that hadn't been done before. Four guys. No, because Ian Curtis didn't really play any instruments. I'm talking just musically. Um, he did yeah, play guitar yeah. sometimes, like, but musically. He, he had um, a really ugly looking guitar, by the way. Huh? He had a really ugly looking guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I hate those fucking shaped guitars. The, the, the thing is about um, Ian Curtis. I'll briefly mention this. He had like he 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 wasn't. And this is a very controversial statement, but he wasn't musically talented. The guy only is in was in the band because he was a mate they had at the pub. And they preferred to have a mate in the band than some random dude. Um, and lyrically, he's really interesting. He wrote a lot of poetry and stuff. And I think that's what really carries it. And he has such a weird voice. In my opinion, he can't really sing. But that kind of caters to the atmosphere of the track. You hear him trying to sing on some of the stuff from Still. Yeah, exactly. And it's I think not, It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant, but <laughs> I think it works for the atmosphere. Like, it works within the confines of the tracks. And I think, yeah. in general, what they are, they, they're innovators. Like, I think they're musical geniuses because they're not necessarily doing stuff that's difficult, but they are doing stuff that complement each other perfectly in creating this weird atmosphere and the sound um, that I think makes them really unique. There's a lot of space in these tracks, but it still feels pretty full at the same time. Um, the guitar yeah. riffs are really interesting. They're really cutting. He made such a great noise. Like the production on 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 the guitar in all of the Joy Division stuff is so excellent, and the drums are all very precise and very spacious, but also quite bombastic as well, and very programmed. Yeah, as well. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the thing. I sort of found the opposite. I found it was too empty. Right. Okay. There wasn't much happening, but the atmosphere. It was dreary, but not but not dreary enough in a depressed way. Yeah. It was just like, it's just like when you go outside and it's overcast and it's drizzling. Yeah. Like you could take the full on rain. That's one extreme. You could take bright sunshine, but when it's just a bit of drizzle, it's fucking, <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. That's fair. I think it's, it's, it's like I said, I understand anybody not like enjoy division, especially this album because it's really bleak. But I do think when you take into context of the time and what other music was around, I think you still have to respect it. Well, I did say earlier that I think they were 
more influential than the Beatles. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you, here, mate. <laughs> well, no, you're just sort of, you're sort of saying to me like, well, you've got to respect it. It's like I've shown them respect. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not speaking <laughs> to you. I'm not speaking to you personally. I'm just sort of um, throwing it out there. Yeah, I, I'm asking if you agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Don't worry. Now, <laughs> Jesus, cupcakes got all muffin on me. <laughs> you're so defensive, man. <laughs> I'm not defensive. You only came at me. <laughs> I didn't come at you. That's the thing. You were like fucking spider monkey. So you're flying out from the bushes. So, so, are you a fan of basically the big hits on this album are um, Disorder and She's Lost Control, and I, I get the fact that you like those. Yeah, those are okay songs. Do you like? So my favorite. Song... I was say those are good songs. I don't know why I said okay. Like I was trying to deny. No, my my, my personal favorite song on the album is, um, which I suppose I'm just giving it away because usually we guess these. Um, Give me two seconds. I'm gonna guess. We do the guessing now for unknown pleasure. Uh, right, so I reckon it's going to be. I'm gonna go with Shadow Play. I love Shadow Play. It's not my favourite. For fuck's sake, you always do this to me. Oh uh, yeah, I love that song. But no, no, it's not. It's not the one. Okay, go on. My favourite on the album is Interzone. That and that's my next guess. Uh, I, I, I like the. I have to admit that, and this is controversial as well, although fans are split on this, this isn't my favourite Joy Division album. Um, I really like it a lot, and I think I really dig the atmosphere, but you have to be in a certain mood. to li- ah, I don't know, actually. I could listen to it any time, but uh, it is bleak, and it is slow tempo, and there are a couple songs like Disorder, Shadowplay, and Interzone that pick up the pace for me and do... They're a bit heavier, but they're not too heavy... And I quite like them because of that. And Interzone, I think, is just the, my... I like the weird synth stuff on there. Uh, yeah, it's just a personal favourite. I like the whole album, and there's not a shit song on the album for me. Jake's doing shifty eyes. <laughs> is, is your there's, favourite... There's, no, there's nothing that sticks out to me as being absolute shite. Yeah, it's just not your cup of tea. It's just one long piece of drawn out death there. I'm going to guess your favourite is She's Lost Control no is it not? Disorder, Disorder then yeah there um, so I'm going to blow your fucking mind now go on then no I'm not actually I'm going to save that <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> no I, just, I, I realised I, I blew my link into it I had a different link into it that I wrote down to definitely tell me not to do what I've just done <laughs> Well, what's what's your um, thoughts before we move on and stuff? Because I think it's more prevalent on this album than it is on the others. But what's your thoughts on Ian Curtis as a lyricist? Hmm. Like an Edgar Allan Poe poem. It is what it is. Fair. It's not, not great. And now, can you answer my question in a less poncy way? <laughs> I just give you. Like, then just because they're bleak shouldn't mean that I've got to like them. <laughs> they're not the greatest, but they're yeah. not the worst. They're okay. Yeah. You're like neither here nor there with them. Yeah, it's unfortunately, especially with this album, and to an extent on uh, Closer as well. These albums are poorly produced. And I think that's 99% of the well, I'd say it's 75% of the problem is why I don't get on with it. It's 
poorly produced so it doesn't seem it's very trebly there doesn't seem to be anything filling in the gaps or actually providing you with any sort of bass that is down to the music somewhat as well because peter hook um usually he's playing on the g string so the high string on the bass yeah and he's playing on the d and he's uh playing high up the neck as well which is partially because when he's playing live that's easier to reach than longer up the neck yeah especially i have to i have to admit i do have to listen to the remastered versions of all of these songs and i do have to listen to them either with really good headphones or um on my record player work or on an app where i can turn up the bass so i do admittedly like i I agree with you production wise that it is very trebly and that can be quite grating like on shit speakers it's hard as fuck to listen to yeah, and I think the production ruins a lot of it as well, because if you do listen to a live, there's more energy, and that's always what I look for in an album, is energy. Yeah. And it, apart from Peter Hook, it didn't seem to be there, but that's obviously because Peter Hook's playing lead effectively on yeah. that bass. that's fair. Do, have you listened to any of their live stuff? A few bits and pieces, just because I've always liked to show it's live as well. Do you prefer what they sound like live, then, overall? Yeah. I reckon that I reckon live that the atmosphere at their gigs would have been really fucking good. Let me blow your mind for the first time. Okay. Now this isn't just a little tickle. Um, I know somebody who did see Joy Division live in roughly 1979. No fucking way. Yeah. They very much like when you were underwhelmed, but um, it was my mother. <laughs> no way. Okay. Your mum's not a fan of Joy Division either, then. No, she's not. Um. She's sort of like me, like, Joy Vision was far too depressing. The Smiths were the right sort of depressing. Right, okay. <laughs> um, I, like, yeah. I like pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah. Not not depressing depressing. <laughs> no, just... Well, I mean, pretty isn't sort of quite depressing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she saw them roughly in 7980, uh, when, I think when she lived up in Leeds for a bit. That's so cool. Yeah. And yes, yes, so yeah, and I like the New Order version. Yeah, like, man, I, I think they would have been excellent live. And I do think, I haven't listened to a lot of their live stuff. I'm planning on getting um, the uh, Still LP, which has their last gig live on it as well. The remastered version, so it has the, their last gig in Birmingham live. I'm really excited to listen to that because um, I think it's, I think the music's just going to translate better. I think in general, their music will does translate better on bigger speakers, maybe at a party or just a, a, as loud as you can make it. It well, works it's, more. It's also that annoying thing of the sound engineering with it and sound production in general. Is the bass... Um, no, sorry, the drums, rather, come through a lot and really well. The bass is fairly muffled, but you can still distinguish it. Yeah. The guitar is very quiet, but peeks in and out and also goes across ears. But the vocals always seem hidden in the back. So that's the thing that grated on me for a while, um, which is why for a long time I was like a half Joy Division fan where I liked a load of their fucking tracks, but then I didn't like a load of their tracks. And the ones I didn't like nine times out of ten, it's because the vo- the the vocals sound like they're in another room, or they're being played through like um, a phone speaker while everything else is really like crisp, and that bothered me for a long time. But now it, it doesn't so much, and I don't know why. Maybe I 
think it's per- well it was obviously purposely done and i don't know that's the thing i think a lot of it is they were at a very small label that only mm. sort of broke through as a label after joy division and um, partially because of joy division yeah so they weren't funded very well so they yeah. didn't exactly get the best sound engineers and the best producer in i think the tone obviously yeah the 100 percent that's all them yeah I'll go for that um the producer may sort of sway them in a certain direction when they're recording with them but the production of the album the actual sound and the way things are mixed that's less going to be on the band yeah i would say uh, the mixing I... like think of like and justice yeah it's always my go-to for those kind of things like uh, that though i think was a james or lars decision in the end because they kept going back and forth with flang yeah. until they mixed so it I... I got two kind of points of it. I'd be interested to, to hear your opinions on if you listen to Substance, because Substance has a load of alternate versions of these tracks that are mixed differently. And I personally, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I mean. I'd be interested to see if you, if you did listen to it, what you'd think after that. I am because... going to give you a tease, though. I have heard better versions of the songs. Okay, okay, that's a good tease. That's a tease. Um, but when they, I blow your mind for they the have, second time. Yeah, but they have like. <laughs> but on substance they have an alternate version of she's lost control for example which is leveled way more evenly yeah, and the vocals sound a lot more forward and i do prefer Didn't sometimes they... the alternate versions i'm assuming they remixed it when uh control was being done the film potentially yeah i think as because well I'm there, pretty there sure was an she's ad- lost control there was a cleaner version of that on control there is there is yeah and also that that all came out around about the time i think it was the 25th anniversary um, um it would have been well, it would have been 28 at that point when the film was released so no but i think substance, when they started oh yeah, i think sorry. i think substance the compilation album came out on the 25th anniversary and they remastered a load of tracks and they um brought out um the alternate versions that hadn't been released before um i think they did like appeal sessions and stuff like that similar to what the smiths did that i did came out. some stuff on substance actually because that had um love yeah, uh, digital also transmission yeah oh yeah yeah of course i totally listened to that just before yeah um, um it was the no it wasn't like an anniversary <laughs> All oh, right. I thought I thought it was in light of a, a an anniversary release or something like that. Um, uh, it was a release, so I'm trying to think of which anniversary it would technically be now. So ten, that would have been the nineteenth anniversary. All oh, right, maybe. Fair. So it came out on eleventh of July, nineteen eighty-eight. Fair. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't know then, but um, suppress your bubble, bitch. That's <laughs> no, all good. The other thing to put to note as well in terms of their production is that they were actually known to do some quite interesting things in the studio as well like obviously she's lost control has got the spray can um and then in their second album closer in isolation um the vocals are actually recorded through um ian curtis being on the phone so that's why they sound so flat so they actually did purposely do some things to make the production the way it is um, whether that was the right choice or not, and whether that works for certain people or not, it didn't work for me for a long time, and now it does. Um, I can completely understand if it doesn't. I'm going to tell you who it didn't work for. It didn't fucking work for the Belgian album's Ultra Top Wallonia. 
charts. Okay. <laughs> Where's the... <laughs> Did you like that smoothest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so smooth and also like I know you're about to tell me information that I really needed to know and I, it's it's gonna blow my fucking mind. <laughs> well, on the uh, Foden albums Ultra Top Wallonia uh, yeah. positions, um, Unknown Pleasure has only got a peak position of 194. Oh no. The Swiss, oh. the Swiss were also not. Well, actually, saying that, uh, the Belgian albums Ultra Top Flanders <laughs> a peak to 65. Uh, so part of Belgium really didn't like it. Part of Belgium thought it was okay. Right. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm glad the, I know. Speaking the, to the masses. <laughs> the Swiss albums uh, Schweizer Hit Parade. Uh, <laughs> just like, oh, I went into Swiss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, peaked at 98. Uh, the Italians, they didn't mind it so much 34 um who else the germans thought it was okay it got to 20 in germany yeah. they did a european tour i i do know that they didn't fucking go far enough in belgium did they <laughs> <laughs> they left the smiths right alone yeah. <laughs> they must have played on the fucking border of france and switzerland <laughs> um dude, into what's going on in europe <laughs> should we move on to the second album yeah, we can move all the way through to 1980. Wow, a whole year. Yep, <laughs> they didn't waste no time. And uh, at time of recording, what just happened? What? 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 what, what I, I don't know, Jake. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Why should I have to tell you about something that literally just happened to you? What just happened to? Oh yeah, yeah, shit. Sorry, I thought <laughs> you were like. Oh, I, you... I thought you were talking about. I was. I thought you were talking about at the time that they were recording the album, something happened, and I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> no, yeah. So as we <laughs> what were recording, what happened to you? What did your stories? As we were recording the um, uh, uh, podcast, um, I had a little break, and then a record arrived, and it just so happened to be the second album of Joy Division. Because obviously we've been listening a load um, in preparation for this podcast and that. I showed uh, Charlie the film Control the other day and she really likes Joy Division as well. So I've bought uh, some vinyls. Control is an excellent film and the actor is phenomenal and he handles. So one thing we haven't mentioned, I suppose, if, if people do or don't know Joy Division is that another reason why Ian Curtis became so prolific is because he had schizophrenia and uh, he used to do this weird dancing on stage. Um, as I a sort of coping this. mechanism. Well, there's two schools of thought on that. Either it's schizophrenia and then he's taken on that is his persona. Yeah. That. Or he did actually have epilepsy. Yeah. Because he did. Oh no, sorry, not. Uh, yeah, I I was going to say epilepsy. I didn't mean to say schizophrenia, but I do know that okay. there's an idea that no, but I do know that he, there's an idea that he had schizophrenia as well. Yeah. Um. Because I, I, if I remember rightly, in control. They show it as he sees that uh, girl falling over having a seizure, isn't it? And then he yeah, adopts so it after. I, I thought that that was a true story for the reason for the song she lost control because he used to work in an uh, was it for a bank or a post office or whatnot, and then it someone... was like a small little office thing, wasn't it? Yeah, and then someone used to come in um, in their local area who had epilepsy so bad that they used to have to wear a head guard for when they'd fall over. And then apparently, as the story goes, he found out that that lady had died. So then he wrote the song She Lost Control. 
and that that wasn't at, at least the film makes it out as um that was around about the same time that he just found out that he had epilepsy so it freaked him the fuck out yeah it was yeah bear in mind i haven't seen the film in a long time so the way i remembered it is he saw that and adopted that yeah um, and obviously but obviously we that, don't have how much i don't know how accurate that film is it seems like it was very accurate um i can give you an idea so it's based off of um his wife at the time who splits up with him by the end of the movie yeah um it's based on her i think she wrote an autobiography or memoirs or something right okay so that's fairly accurate then well at least it's, it's side of point of view. yeah it's fairly accurate but obviously she only knew from sort of the point where she knew him properly whereas they would have to take a bit more liberties with um, the ideas around his growing up and that. Um, however, I can't remember if it was um, Peter Hook who said this. It might be. Uh, they were talking about, he was talking about Ian Curtis' epilepsy and saying that they've been having it in shows since the start. It only got worse. Um, the drummer as well had noticed, like, when certain beats would play, he would essentially go into a trance and have a fit. Yeah. He'd be sort of dragged backstage and he'd cry his eyes out. Yeah. And stuff like that. So... Yeah, I'm more inside it. He 100% had the condition. It was 100% horrible. And it also explains the events sort of ending his life as well. Completely. And I think it's, um, we can get more, I suppose we can talk about it now, but like, it's a big part of the reason why um, he has become uh, the legend he has, I suppose. Because it's interesting enough that he sung in a weird way because he couldn't really sing, but became that's part of the sound that they made because of the way you can sing. So that's one thing. I suppose it does sound a little bit like James Morrison, uh, Jim Morrison, um, Jim Morrison, sorry, um, which is why uh, a lot of people think that they, they were heavily influenced by the doors and stuff. Um, also the fact that he killed himself at a young age and the fact that he had such a weird, unique dance that was brought on by epilepsy. I think it's all added to this like legend of Ian Curtis whether you liked him or not it's definitely what made the band because they definitely got huge after he had died well sort of their sort of status increased after he died and I think that happens pretty much with every band if anyone passes away um your stocks increase even if for a bit yeah because you're suddenly people know who you are by virtue of that terrible thing happening yeah um but there's an interesting there was an interesting interview sorry quickly um there was an interesting interview with morrissey and uh johnny Marr because johnny Marr and morrissey uh used to rehearse in the room below where joy division because they're both from macclesfield they used to rehearse in the same building in the the floor below and uh joy division were were not macclesfield no sorry ian curtis there was they were from salford as a group no they weren't as a group they were as a Suffered. group, yeah, but the actual like they were right, they used to rehearse in Macclesfield, and also I'm pretty sure Ian Curtis is from Macclesfield, um, so I don't think they all are from. But anyway, Origin, Salford, England. Yeah, the band, but like <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ian Curtis is Macclesfield. Anyway, there's a story that Morrissey and Mar say on an interview how they used to rehearse in the same building, the floor below. He and... grew up in Macclesfield, Cheshire. He was actually born in Stretford, though. I'll well, have you know. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> can I can I get the can I get the story out? <laughs> well, you can get the point for Macclesfield. It's, yeah. it's fine. But um, basically, um, Morrissey says in an interview that he finds it interest. He found it interesting because 
no one really cared about Joy Division until after, at least from his point of view, no one talked about him or cared about him until after Ian Curtis died. And he was making a sort of comment about that. It's the same with celebrities. People think they're darlings and well, they, they make I, it better. I would hate to disagree with the Lord and Saviour, Mr. Morrissey. Um, however, Joy Division were bigger before people knew who the Smiths were. I mean, that's 100% true, but it's just a different time. <laughs> so, yeah, Morrissey can misremember it in any way he wants. Um, yeah. Actually, what happened Also, I don't after... think we should necessarily call Morrissey the Lord of Saviour. <laughs> so... I, I will say that was very sarcastic. I think Morrissey okay. is actually an asshole. Yeah, we respect him. For anybody who listens to this podcast, because we talk about the Smiths a lot, um, as, a, as a caveat, we like Morrissey as a songwriter. I think he has a really cool voice as well. As a human being, not very nice. Not a fan. However, Johnny Marr looks like an absolute hero. Like, he gets... Yeah, I was watching a video. Um, fuck, I can't remember if it was like Stairway War or something like that. Um, but he was playing a gig and this fan sort of kept shouting him like, well, play this song and I'll play it on guitar. And so Johnny Marr finally had enough and was like, well, come on then. Come up and play it on guitar. So he had the fan come up. Play a fucking perfect Smiths cover. That's so sick. The fan playing guitar. Yeah, and like Johnny gave him his guitar as well. So Johnny's there singing vocals without worrying about the guitar because the kid in the background's doing it. Ah, mate, I just learned how to play still on on the guitar as well. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it on bass and guitar. I think. Much I can do today. it on guitar, but it's taken me like uh, it's taken me like two weeks to actually get it. <laughs> Yeah, I hate playing any Johnny Marr on guitar because it usually involves a capo and you've usually got to be doing weird chord it's, structures. It's ultimate picking, man. That's why I'm still getting my head around. But I've got there. I've got there with that song now. Seriously, the... Street Spirit is really good one to try for that. I I was thinking about because I do want to learn how to play Waterfall, Stone Roses, and I was yep. thinking about learning some um, uh, Radiohead. Radiohead as well. Yeah, um, Street, sorry, Street sorry, I, I, I interrupted your point about. Um, Joy Division being a big band or not? Oh yeah, yeah sorry. So um, actually, what got them famous? It was thankfully they sort of got big in their lifetime um, to an extent. Faye and Curtis. Bear in mind, in 1980, they're about to tour the US and Canada. And it may yeah. not be massive arena shows or anything like that. But anytime you're in the USA, is usually when there's been a big jump in your popularity. Especially but, at that time as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Um, it's that horrible thing, actually. I think bands are viewed as bigger, like if they come from here and they do play bigger shows in the USA, yeah. even though all we care about is our lot. Um, but no, the the biggest thing that disproves, uh, you know, Satan uh, or Mr. Morrissey, as we call him, <laughs> Satan is my lord and savior. People, that's why I've called him Satan now. Uh, so uh, the enemy, after uh, when unknown pleasures came out. The enemy helped propel them forward, and Fair. the music scene around that side time did actually sort of kind of welcome them with open arms. Even though you know, prior to Unknown Pleasures and the enemy running it, the enemy always did back then, really. Um, so yeah, Joy Division did get famous before the Smiths. There, there you go. Um, also, by virtue of um, wait, was it 1982? Was that the first Smiths album? Yeah. So we're still talking. Let me just double check that because I want to make sure I'm being right before I try and use this as another thing against uh, Morrissey. 
so a debut album oh fuck actually i was being generous it turns out it came out in 1984 there we go so five years prior to the smiths releasing their debut album bear when smiths had singles and that prior to that as well which helped push yeah. them forward and um you know the famous like hacienda gig and things like that um however unknown pleasures was genuinely well received despite what i was saying about europe um it hit number five on the uk albums chart so oh, wow that sort of tells you something right there it also charted really really fun oh actually no tell a lie that was sorry i've misspoke there that might have been from 2019 but that would have been if it was a reissue or something yeah, they released a remaster um, last uh, in 2019 of all the albums. Oh, uh, right. 40, no. 40th anniversary remaster. No, what I'm thinking is it was the actual... Just top 100? I don't fucking know, actually. That's really weird. Yeah, I think it was just generic top 100 where mm. they ranked it number five. Um, Sue, so, however... Yeah. Um, yeah, so at the time it looks like in 1980, 1981 charts it peaked at 71 in the UK, so I am wrong on that. But so it obviously, it obviously did well enough that they were quick to get out another album. Like well, they yeah. were riding on a high popularity, and obviously, like I said, they did a European tour. They were about to go into a tour in America, so it couldn't have done terribly. And there is a reason why it stood the test of time. I think on you look at like most lists online of best albums of all time this tends to pop up within the top 100 or top 500 yeah it's known as a very iconic album i think that's like we've said before is i personally think it is an excellent album so i agree with it in general but also if i'm looking more objectively i think it's because it's a very unique album as well yeah do you know what we're saying saying about earlier about um the whole idea of it not being the producer how had like the musical ideas would be from the band the producer yeah. just sort of made actually as it turns out it, it was martin hannett the producer who hmm. did also significantly alter their live sound so he oh, right. pretty much did force their hand at the time i think at the time peter hook was less than thankful because he felt it lost the energy of the live stuff however as of 2006 he does say that in retrospect hannett did do a good job and create the joy division sound yeah so. Peter Hook as well though was like infamous for being the more punk oh, yeah, member yeah. of the band like yeah that was his idea he wanted to play high energy heavier music um, and I think that seeps back into it I get, so when we get to Closer now which is the second album I actually prefer this album uh, quite a bit um, well not, not quite a bit more I just think genuinely I love the first album I love Unknown Pleasures a lot but Closer for me is just more high energy and there's a bit more going on um, it's more easy yeah. to listen to yeah yeah maybe <laughs> what's it's, your thoughts it's a little bit easier to listen to but there's nothing for me there's only one song that really stood out which one? Um, Twenty Four Hours. Yeah, I love that song. That's a that's a practically a heavy metal song, though. Yeah, and I think that's the only song that felt like it had any sort of energy again. Really? Do you not think like songs like Isolation, which is the biggest single I think from this album, 
where they, oh, yeah. they, this is where they started to you kind of get the you get how this eventually became new order so again for a bit of context when ian curtis passed away um the band continued and they became new order and exploring a lot more synth a lot more like um i suppose mainstream music or following the mainstream well they sort of, they did sort of help kind of pop up and create the housing really you think yeah, about agree, blue yeah. monday yeah how many fucking parties or rave scenes do you reckon fucking blue monday was playing at oh 100 yeah and i think like that influence that that influenced a lot of brit pop that then came into the 90s and stuff yeah um and yeah i think with closer you start to hear a bit more of that synth it's a lot more quick paced it's a bit more poppy the production is a lot more crisp and clear they're being less um atmospheric i suppose about it yeah, so the production is still a little bit better, but it's still Martin Hannett, so it still has that sound. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you can still I... tell it's very much the same band. Like, It's not like yeah. they've got a completely different evolution. Yeah, they haven't evolved into the monkeys overnight. It's yeah. just a case of they are crisper, but I still I still struggle because of the production more than anything. And just everything, again, seemed obviously deliberately slow-paced. And yeah. this is when, you know, his brains also unraveling as well in terms of writing the lyrics but yeah it just again it's that signature joy division sound i think overall is what i don't like about joy division yeah again i think they're just a marmite thing you either get it or you don't but yeah <coughs> excuse me i wouldn't say that like you know they're in my top hated band or anything they're songs that i like um i think they like i said they're massively influential and i can understand why because if I was around at the time and I had that, that would have influenced me going forward the same way that the bands who were influenced by them were influenced on me later on. Yeah, I was about to say, do you, would you say like you respect them because the bands that were influenced by them, you you just think there were better bands that were influenced by them and that's yeah. why you respect them? Yeah, I think they're sort of a product of their time, but because they never had a chance to grow beyond that, essentially the first year of you know, having the album out and then having closer out within sort of the same 12 month period i think they never got a chance to actually evolve and explore different production styles which would have well could have potentially very well made me a fan of them yeah i mean i've always thought like if you listen to the the few tracks i do know of new order if you listen to them and then imagine ian curtis's voice or energy with them it could have been really interesting the the direction they could have gone yeah, I think if it, it stuck to that direction, that it probably wouldn't have tickled me either. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's I don't fair. Know if there was a way they could have won with this. Yeah, I, I think again, I think it carries on the the aesthetic of the first album, but I just think it's a bit quicker paced, a bit sharper. I like the introduction of synth. Um, it's it's less morbid as well than the first album. It's still pretty morbid lyrically. Um, I love songs like Isolation, and yeah, 24 Hours is an excellent song. I knew you'd like that one quite a bit, and that does feel like a Black Sabbath song. Yes. You can completely get that. Um, yeah, oh, I had... There, oh, was another, there was another song that I did like. Well, so the, the song that I thought you would dig most in this um, album, but maybe not, because the, the biggest complaint you've had is the amount of space and atmosphere and stuff... I thought you'd really like Heart and Soul. I was about to say, 
there was another song that I liked on the album. I was just double checking my notes. Heart and Soul is good. Ah, but, there you go. <laughs> but I have, I, I have effectively, so I put Heart and Soul is good. Dash. But the album is a dirge. <laughs> <laughs> and then, tw- then 24 hours has energy. <laughs> Again, and energy is underlined and has like two big arrows next to it indicating I need energy in an album. I cannot, like even when we listen to slower paced stuff, it's there's a sense of urgency that I like about music and the way that it's created. And I love it when it comes across on an album, even if the song is slow, you can still have a level of energy. And again, yeah. I think that's where the production sucks. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I think it is interesting as well when you think Joy Division's biggest song and most loved song is easily Love Will Tear Us Apart. That's the song that everyone knows without knowing Joy Division. And if um, you don't know it, it goes... And that was a better vocal performance than Ian Curtis ever delivered, even after but it's so interesting with that song because you can tell it's still very much a Joy Division song, but it does have the edge, the energy, the urgency, and the more full sound that they never really well, had on any of their albums. Can I uh, quickly go into the actual bassline a sec for that song? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm trying the best way of doing this now. Do I show off? Ooh, who knows? So, with uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart, there's a significantly interesting thing to me that the way Peter Hook plays it mm. so the whole intro the thing that's coming through loud and clear which is again it's very trebly and not bassy at all but it's Peter Hook essentially playing lead again so the intro is uh, it's a D I think power chord D power chord on the bass again cleaner though than some of the other album recordings where the bass is usually fairly distorted so you get through that, and then the actual main riff of the It's hard to do it justice by just making the noises, because what he's actually playing is he's got the open D, yeah, and he's playing the riff through on the G. And then, at the very end of it, we're, so that's all throughout the And then when he goes he goes into sort of like an inverted chord and then he switches back to a power chord again afterwards and the reason i picked that out and i know our manifesto at the very first episode because we're not going to get too technical with certain things yeah. but i do geek out about little things like this um the reason that's unique is because not many bass players ever play around with chords um you'll get someone like flea who um will play certain styles of chords, but not just like power chords and things like that unless you listen to don't forget me where he does um Steve Harris obviously plays power chords as well, and but again, his usually it. Uh, I have the slower parts of music where it's you want the big heavy gung 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 you'd get, yeah. Or it would be um, when he's doing the gallops, goes gling 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 because he's a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> and Lemmy also played chords as well. I think it's the way Peter Hook plays his bass in the first place. With it being really low slung and he plays with a pick, it's easier doing chords than it is trying to hit single notes, especially if you're playing on the fucking G. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating. I, and that's where I have issues because I don't know if he's a good bassist or not. It's really weird. You just find, He's just a unique bassist. Yeah, he's very unique. Um, 
But you can't work again, out whether you're a fan. Yeah, it's like I can sit there and like his bass was like the only thing I could really latch onto throughout the majority of the albums. And it, well, throughout both the albums, <laughs> not the majority. Um, yeah, it's this weird thing of um, um, just to flip back slightly to uh, Unknown Pleasure because I've got to talk about the time. In Disorder is possibly their most famous. See, I know my shit. <laughs> I was yeah. staring at, I was like legitimately staring at the frets on my bass throughout all of that. <laughs> like it was you guitar hero. <laughs> you know what though? I think people have this uh, thing with Joy Division in general because I don't think it's just the bass. I think the guitar goes in a very similar way because he comes up with very unique, striking riffs that cater to the song really well, but it's so sparing and it's so absent from most of their music and then it just cuts in. And you can tell that's purposely done, but it's hard to turn around and say, well, is he an excellent guitarist in terms of a rhythm guitarist or is he not? And even his solos and stuff are pretty interesting. And it's the same from my point of view with the drums as well because the drums are so simple but in my opinion effective and occasionally out of nowhere really complex well yeah and i think also again large portions were programmed yeah so i I don't necessarily think that's true but i think that's true for the albums but no matter what he plays it live yeah yeah, live he's got to play it i think on the album it's harder to judge i haven't seen enough live stuff to judge him but um i think over time peter hook has become a good bassist i think at the time he's only couple of years into playing bass yeah well and then in new order are famous for their music musicianship in general they're all considered really excellent musicians yeah well um what you're saying about guitar though guitar reminds me a lot of john squire yeah i get that i reckon that's an influence on john squire funnily enough um yeah it's that idea of being able to space where you're putting your sort of guitar licks to make them come across better or add atmosphere to the song rather than just playing guitar because you can play guitar yeah um, and that's the thing that's that restraint of trying to play as well because you know as well as me when you've got a guitar in your hand the first thing you yeah. want to do is start playing the solo to master of puppets this is what i really dig personally about joy division is that it's all musically so simple and so spacious and everyone's just doing what they feel they need to do and no one's trying to show off and they're just they're all playing for the song not for Ooh. themselves which i get works for some people and doesn't work for others i was gonna say it's the funny thing like you could argue that because the bass lines themselves like they are uh, i'm not going to go too much into it again um but the bass lines themselves they when i say they're the lead they're sort of the higher portion of the harmony that is pushing forward songs at all points so you know whether it's she's lost control or disorder or anything anything really on the album his bass always played with the higher notes it yeah. always comes sharp and you can sit there you can make an argument wow he's showing off he's playing too much blah, blah blah but if you didn't have that there would be sort of no there'd be nothing to prop up everything else that's the thing and so he, him playing lead is perfect as a bassist yes yeah, i think they, they they it's clear with their songs that they have a motif and they stick by it with each song so they go all oh, right well in this song the drums are going to be the center point and they full-on stick to that um and in this song and it's usually the bass it's usually and 
And what's interesting as well is their songs tend to, a lot of their songs tend to be the same from start to finish. There's not much build um, in a lot of their songs, which I, I think was a, a reason that I I was pretty sure you're not going to be a huge Joy Division fan. And one of the main reasons I thought is because of the lack of progression in their songs. Yeah, I don't know if that would I don't know why. I, yeah, I don't know why. For me, I think... Just because I know, like, again, you're such a huge Smiths fan, you're such a huge, like, um, uh, Iron Maiden fan, and uh, you like narrative songs and you like build, um, and these aren't that. They're very simple in nature. Yeah, but I wouldn't sit there and say, you know, Bodies by the Sex Pistols, or Sex Pistols, rather, yeah, has much progression throughout the song. It's a song about abortion it's hard no, it's to... true it's true it's true but i'd love the sex pistols yeah but i think it's it's different um as well like it's a case of all of their songs like it's like the only song that they've ever done is a single that isn't on either of the album called atmosphere another big famous song which is excellent which i got you to listen to literally just before recording this that has a lot of build um but other than that none of their songs have that and to me i like that I think it's another unique part of them as a band, but I can understand why someone would not get that. But I suppose I just misjudged you. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. And I, I regret the day I've met you. Um, <laughs> what do you think so, is my favourite on this album? Oh, how dare you. It's going to be... <laughs> I'm going to say 24 hours. Yeah, you're right. I, I actually really, like, I think everything on this album is pretty on the same level as each other. I love the whole album from start to finish. It, Isolation, I think, is an excellent song. Heart and Soul. The Eternal, I really love as well. But 24 Hours, I think, just the random, like, heaviness, and then when it suddenly just drops right back. It's so un- it's, it's just so random and weird, but I really like it for that reason. Yeah, that was the most fun of that album for me. Mm, that's fair. I, so, I, 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 could, <laughs> I was struggling. When you said about uh, the next album we'll talk about, <laughs> I, my heart sank. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh no, I don't have to go. Well, so here's the thing. It was, it was important for me in terms of the context of talking about Joy Division that we do listen to Still, which is the third album we're talking about. So the, the album we're about to get onto, Still, is a compilation album um, released after Ian, Curtis, Ian Curtis's death. And it's basically a lot of unreleased tracks, some B-sides, um, and never or, or tracks that were released just as singles that never made it onto any of the albums. Then also I got you to listen to a couple other songs that um, they had as singles outside of even still as well. Because I think when you listen to these tracks, this stuff outside of the two albums they become a really interesting band because none of this stuff sounds like the two albums to me none of this stuff on this third album still sounds like it would belong on the other two albums at all which is why i think of those other two albums almost as concept albums because they have such niche atmosphere that these songs don't belong on i think you could change seven six or seven of the songs on unknown pleasures with some of the songs on still and i wouldn't have noticed the difference really yeah and yeah yeah, yeah i I, um, I was 
I was, I was struggling. Really, <laughs> I was really sure with Still you'd like it more because it's a lot more punky. A lot of these songs are a lot more punky and they're a lot more up-tempo. So I thought they'd be more, your taste. Not with Still so much. There wasn't a lot up-tempo. Do you really think so? I thought it was much more up-tempo compared to the other two albums. I mean, <laughs> that's like saying <laughs> that a divorce is more upbeat than a funeral. <laughs> 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 it's kind of like both are traumatic events. <laughs> so I'm guessing you didn't like this at all as well. <laughs> you would be right. Apart from there was one song. Yeah. There is one song. Do you want to have a guess which song it was? It's Dead Souls. It is Dead Souls. Yeah. So it's just a song that actually has build. So I was wrong about what I said earlier. Yeah. Again. This was a song that you made me listen to just before we recorded as well. Because um, I had only managed to make it so far through still. Mm-hmm. And I went off and listened to much more interesting music. <laughs> <laughs> I like how throughout this podcast you're slowly, slowly <laughs> starting to shit on them. <laughs> what was what was the fucking... Oh, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure there's been like bands we listened to in the past where we've just hung our heads in shame. Yeah. But it, it was that was the thing like I could. It was um it was Smashing Pumpkins where we were both. Oh, like, melancholy. <laughs> 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 I forgot about that. It never ended. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Apart from melancholy, it did go on for a lot longer. It just might have yeah. been having more better songs. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure you could have put every single song that <laughs> Joy Division is penned into. Oh, I, I completely disagree. <laughs> but Dead Souls, I'm going to blow your mind for the second time now. Yes. And immediately after, I'm going to blow your mind by talking about the legacy a little bit, and that'll be the third time in one podcast that I've blown your mind. If we're excluding the woos and all of that, because that blew your mind as well. <laughs> so true, so true. This has been an experience, to say the least, Jake. Jake's experience. <laughs> How a tagline, yeah. are you experienced like Hendrix? <laughs> you can have me like with my bass. <laughs> like I'm Jimmy. <laughs> um, so, Dead Souls. I, now if you remember rightly, after I listened to it, I sent you a text. Yeah. It says, I know this song. Now, are you curious how I know a random fucking B-side? Is it because a band has covered it? Hmm. Why are you going down that route, for chance? I don't know, I guess. Because I know, um, I don't know if it was Dead Souls, but I know Radiohead had a cover of um, a Joy Division song, but I can't remember what song it was. I think it could be Shadowplay. I'm not sure. No idea. But you are close. It uh, was a cover. Yes. By a band that I'm not a huge fan of oh. called Nine Inch Nails. Oh, really? So it wouldn't be a cover that I'd randomly hear. However... There is one context in which I would hear that song. Yeah. And that uh, there was a film that came out in 1994, which is one of my, like, it doesn't stand up now so much, uh, but it's in, like, one of my top five favourite movies because I love it dearly. The Crow. Yes. Comic book of the same name by James Abar. Um, in The Crow, there's scene after, when he sort of first goes back to the old place he lived and he's smashing the mirror and he's putting the makeup on, you've got uh, Burn by The Cure, yeah. which... We talked about uh, a week or two ago about the cure and Joy Division having similar sounds. 
Mm. Um, and then as he's running over the rooftops before he gets the first bad guy, whose name escapes me at the moment, the guy who's like, Halloween into manana. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he's never miss. <laughs> what the fuck are you? Ruin no murder. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so as he's sort of going over the rooftops, he jumps down. Dead Souls, the Nine Inch Nails version, is playing. Right. So as soon as the vocal snack kicked in, I was there like, holy fuck, <laughs> I know <laughs> I this. I know this. Do you prefer the Nine Inch Nails version or the Joy Division one? Um, didn't matter, actually. They did quite a faithful version of the song. Yeah. So um, I'll have to listen to the, uh, the Nine Inch Nails one in full at some point. So I, this is the reason why I was later starting on recording because I was going through YouTube trying to find which scene. Yeah, yeah. Because because it doesn't for some reason I I can't just get over the fact like it was in the movie at all. I gotta know which scene. <laughs> I've, I've gotta it's, know all the ins and outs of the cat's arsehole. It actually suits it so much though. Like one of the things we haven't mentioned as well is that, and it bothers me a little bit, but maybe it's because it's a reflection on me. But this Joy Division appearing on the Crow, alongside the Cure and with like Nine Inch Nails doing a cover and everything like that. It brings up the fact that basically Joy Division helped spur or is seen a lot as goth music or goth punk. 100%. And that bothers me because I'm not a goth man. But then I feel like I am nowadays. Like, I just listen to Joy Division or The Smiths. I like a couple of songs by The Cure nowadays. I just wear black all the time. But I don't get Like, I think it's no, just it's, it's depressing music. But. It's because the sound is very dark and gloomy. Yeah. So... Don't worry, you're, you won't be called a goth if you listen to the Smiths. The Smiths aren't goth at all, even though they talk about uh, sort of dark features at times. But yeah. The Smiths wouldn't be considered goth, so you're fine. Joy yeah. Division was seen as sort of precursors to goth. However, if you were to listen to, say, uh, Mission or Sisters of Mercy or The mm. Cure, you'd be a goth. Yeah, especially The Cure. Um, I mean, Sisters of Mercy, man, fuck me. <laughs> hey, yeah, you yeah. Know, hey, no, hey, no, no. the thing. I've I've just always thought of Joy Division as I've just <laughs> always thought of Joy Division as like post-punk. So they're far more closer to punk than they are goth music to me. But uh, I don't know. Well, the, I, the problem is you're thinking of goth purely as the music. Goth is a subculture of lots of things. True. That's true. But, no, um, but so is you punk. Forget. That's what I mean. Punk is a subculture as well. And yeah, I've, but you're it, getting goth isn't a newer term either it's not a term for somebody who just has black hair eyeliner lips oh no no, no yeah. there are gothic painters gothic artists oh yeah no i'm not talking about that i'm century. talking i'm talking about the two subcultures that are in no, pop culture that, that's that's the thing that so when people were viewing it as compared to goth they're not viewing it as compared to as uh, compared to what goths look like oh they're comparing it based on the overall mo uh mo- mood and tone of yeah that's the, maybe that's right i i thought people put joy division in line with the subculture but in pop culture no goth still wasn't exactly a proper thing by that point um, no but i think people sub- think of it as sort of like do you know what people think of iggy as like the godfather of punk mm. i thought people were thinking of like joy division as the godfathers of goth yeah and they kind of were to a way saying Mm. same as black sabbath really in that regard yeah that's true but obviously sabbath had the more over gothic things because that's when goth then got linked with uh, satanism and ideas like that yeah yeah, so but yeah it's all about the the mood and tone it's more gothic than anything else yeah that's fair and it is drab music i mean 
not all of well even them more <laughs> he's upbeat right songs. yeah even the more upbeat songs like disorder and love will tear us apart the subject matters aren't exactly happy and they are then known for that um if we're talking about covers may i blow your mind go on then i've got something to feed you honey <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to pick three people in the world who were going to be a cover band of joy division who would you pick three people in the world who would be in a so, cover band you're thinking somebody who can either do guitar and vocals or bass and vocals. So guitar, bass, drums, one of the yeah. Sort of vocals. Only I would people. I would do I would do Tom York. Yep. I would do oh, I don't know. So funnily enough, um Tom York was in a band called Atoms for Peace that did actually do a cover of um one fucking well like i said um radiohead themselves have covered joy division as well yeah i was just thinking because uh this side band um, the bass the bass is from muse i'd have him i don't know his name it's wolfenstone there we go and i don't know how i have that at the top of my head actually to be honest like muse could do if you replace matt bellamy with tom york you could just have a joy division cover band so last thing when i was talking about atoms for peace you're yep. sort of tangentially tangentially linked to the actual three people no who way did do a cover band which will blow your fucking mind because we are going to listen to a version of disorder okay by this band so get your phone ready yeah who's who's the band who's in the band so the first member i'm going to give you is josh klinghoffer no way sick the second person I'm going to give to you is a bassist, very, very high-end bassist, the bassist who I adore. The Flea? Just Flea's fine. He's, yeah, he's Flea. The Flea is here. Um, so just cling off with Flea. Now, who would be doing guitars and vocals? John Frusciante? No yeah, way! Right. This is obviously long before recent events. So Red Hot Chili Peppers had like a spin-off group that covered Joy Division. I'm trying to confirm the name of the spin-off group. They literally, they only did one gig, but they did a 45-minute set of Joy Division covers. Literally only Joy Division stuff? Yeah. It was like It was at the Silver Lake Conservatory, I believe. Um, Give me two seconds. Let me grab you more information because I've forgot to leave the tab up that actually had some information on it Dude, that's blown my um, mind i would never thought joy division influencing i know joy division influenced a lot but red hot chili peppers is not something that would have come to my mind yeah so it did actually influence the chilies as well that's crazy i know man it's i dig it's that quite a bit madness so <laughs> on your phone we're gonna do it now i'm gonna get you yeah, yeah, yeah. okay and we can get away with it a little bit because it's live music okay cool <laughs> so I want you to search uh, Flea Joy Division Oh, Flea Joy Division Yeah Now the first thing you should hopefully get up Will be something that says jo- uh, John Frusciante, Flea and Josh Klinghoffer Joy Division Tribute mm, My phone's just being a bit late. John Frusciante, Flea, Josh Klinghoffer Joy Division Tribute, Los Angeles yeah, it was in Spaceland rather than uh, Silver Lake Conservatory. If you go okay. on to that, 
and there should be a list of a track list on there. Yeah. Go to disorder. Uh, click on disorder. Yeah, we'll do disorder. Oh, oh they covered control, Wars- They covered Warsaw as well. Yeah, I haven't heard that version yet. I didn't have enough time. That's cool. I'm gonna have to save this and listen to all of this. Right, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna put disorder on, yeah? Disorder or she's lost control. I'm gonna do disorder. Okay. So who did the drums? I think Josh must have. Yeah. That tone's fucking excellent. That's crazy. <laughs> I wish there's video. Stay frosty. Yeah, our video would be so good. Cool.